Hi, everybody. Uh, this is Matt. Blizzard Watch Podcast is happening. Um, and for some reason, I completely forgot who I was there. That was weird. Anyway, with me this week are my fantastic co-hosts, uh, Joe Perez and Liz Harper. Say hi, both of you. Let's go with Liz first. Yeah. Now, Joe. Hello. And uh, basically, we got a few stories to talk about. And just before the show and during the pre-show, Liz reminded me that I'd completely forgotten to put anything Hearthstone-related up, which is such a surprise. Uh, <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about Mercenaries Mode, which I will say... I surprisingly enjoyed. Uh, I, I actually like Mercenaries Mode. I've been playing it on and off. Um, I, I have like three other games I'm trying to play at the same time, including this this one that you see us streaming, World of Warcraft. So I, I don't have a ton of time for it, but I've, I have enjoyed it. But Liz, you're going to talk about it because there's all sorts of weirdness to this, and, and I'm interested to in hear what you have to say. Plus, it gives me a chance to finish this drink. <laughs> yeah, the thing about Mercenaries is... Like, I sort of enjoy it, and I also sort of completely hate it. It's like, it swings one way or the other, kind of depending on which part of the game I'm messing with. It's Mercenaries is interesting in that it's been bolted on top of the Hearthstone framework, and it it doesn't always work out. So there's a lot of um, interface issues that are really clunky and really frustrating and really time-consuming. One of the big things in Mercenaries is there are so many things you have to click. You have to click to go from page to like you have to. There are so many navigation clicks, and it takes so long that in one case I actually counted and timed it to when you hit level thirty on one of your mercenaries, you get a certain piece of gear. Except because it's built on this Hearthstone framework that was not designed for a game like this, you do not just receive the gear. The gear is granted to you by an achievement, and you get the achievement when you hit level 30. And unlike in World of Warcraft, where you get an achievement and you just get the achievement, in Hearthstone, you get an achievement and you have to completely leave the mercenaries mode and back out to the main menu. You have to go into the achievements menu, go into the mercenaries section of the achievements menu, and scroll down to the achievement you just got and click it. That's and so unintuitive. To, it's it's unintuitive. There's like no way to know this unless you know it. It doesn't direct you there at any point in time. Yeah, it I, I got to admit, say. That, that is the thing that I was like having the most trouble with when I was started playing it was having absolutely no idea what I was doing in the first place. And then mm-hmm. that's compounded by the fact that they don't tell you anything. Like it took me a while to realize, oh, oh, um, I don't this doesn't use cards. It uses those other things. So I have to figure out which pack I'm actually trying to open for it. And then, yeah, it's the, the achievement thing. I don't even like achievements in the first place. So yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. The Hearthstone achievement system is annoying in the first place because you don't just get achievements. You have to go to the achievements menu, find the achievement you just got and click on it in order to get anything. And most of them have no rewards except for like achievement points, which are nothing. Sometimes they give you experience and experience can give you gold, but they don't, they aren't very rewarding, but for the ones that do have rewards and you don't know which ones have rewards, you have to click them to get the rewards. But I do know that the achievement for getting a mercenary to level 30 is a piece of gear and you have to back all the way out of mercenaries and go into the achievement menu and click it. There are so many things to click. And to go from combat where you level up and get the achievement out to the achievements menu, clicking that, going back into mercenaries and equipping the gear and then getting back into your next combat encounter takes a minute and 20 seconds just to get a piece of gear and equip it. And that is the worst example, but Hearthstone has Hearthstone Mercenaries has a lot of things like this, where the interface is not intuitive, where it requires you clicking and clicking and clicking. It requires you to navigate tons and tons of menus. I feel like the and, thing that, there's one thing that really grasped mm-hmm. that really grabbed me, and I said this is the strangest thing. It's when you go up to that like mission table, the mission board thing, where you find out where, where there's quests to go. Right. Then you get the quest. Then you come out of that and go over to the horse and ride to the place you want to go. Right. Why can't I just go there from the board? Why do you have to have two things for this? Here's here's another fun interface issue. If you are in a game and a quest pops up because of something you've done in the game, you have to leave 
the the combat, the whole little mission thing, you have to leave that, go out to the campfire where the mission board is, and physically open it up and view the quest in the menu. And then you have to leave that and you have to go back into the into your combat thing. And that's the if you do anything for the quest before then, it does not count. Yeah, that, that sounds about what I'm talking about, yeah. It's yeah, so, that's, that's kind of weird. But uh, at the same time, I mean, I do want to say this. With all this true and with like lots of other UI issues to talk about, it is fun to play. The, the playing part is fun, in my opinion, but it does feel an awful lot like the, the there was not as much thought put into how to make this. Like It, it feels like they tried to make it feel hearthstone at the detriment of making it feel like a coherent game experience, if that makes sense. No, that's actually a really good way to put it, I think. It, it, and that goes to like what Liz is talking about. And if you're in, I want to make it clear, anything I'm about to say, if you are enjoying Mercenaries, more power to you. I, I hope you chase your bliss. But like for me, it I think that very accurately describes how I kind of feel about it is it feels like a game being bolted into another game because that's what it is. But it's also like very much wearing it on its sleeve, right? Like it's trying to cram these systems into the Hearthstone framework to make it work. And that's sort of, like you said, to its detriment. Like, had this been something else, maybe I probably would have liked it a little bit more. But, like, combined with, like, how it, the weird UI elements, uh, the user experience is a little bit iffy. Like, there's there's all these little minor things that kind of, like, pull you out of it, at least from my perspective, uh, that make it sort of hard to get into, at least for me. So I, I completely agree with you. And I've played a lot of Mercenaries. I've collected all but like seven of them. I've leveled a bunch of them to 30. I've done a lot of mercenaries, but it is really clunky to navigate. And it's like the game gets in the way of playing the game sometimes. Uh, so I don't know. It, and, to me. And, and Padilla in chat brings up a good point too. The UI for Hearthstone has never been the most elegant thing either to begin yes, with for yes. regular base Hearthstone. And now they're trying to bolt this new game mode that is completely unlike Hearthstone onto a Hearthstone framework. And it's weird. It doesn't really work. And it seems pretty obvious that they haven't, like they rolled out this game mode and no one really worked to fix some of these issues. Or maybe they did work. Maybe this started out rougher than it is. And I know there are tons of problems developing games. It's really hard. It's always harder than you think it is as like a player. But the game has a lot of rough edges. And I think it's because it was bolted onto a framework that was never designed to do this. And in some ways, it doesn't work very well because it was shoved into Hearthstone. And it's it's just kind of weird. It's a weird experience. I don't I don't know if they plan to fix it. I don't know if they plan to smooth out these edges. They, the Hearthstone interface is the same as it's been since launch. There have been very few changes except to bolt more stuff onto it. And with each edition, it gets a little weirder and a little more awkward to do things. Yeah, I think that it would be nice if a QOL pass could come along that would just make it easier to do things like what we're talking about. Um, because that is, it is strange to like be like, I don't, the tutorial doesn't, doesn't really teach you the things like this that we're talking about. It doesn't, it's, it basically just shows you how to play the game, which is fine. But playing the game is the least complicated thing about the game. Like it's actually not complicated to, to play this. It's like just, you got three people, you just go out there and you, you punch things until they fall down. Um, you have specific moves. If you use those specific moves that controls your initiative order, it, it's, it's not like a, a really sophisticated game, which is what I actually enjoy about it. That it is, it is basically a fairly pure experience in terms of the actual gameplay. But that's that's what the tutorial focused on, how to do quests, how to progress, how to get through the missions. It's like, this is all stuff that's relatively straightforward. I need you to explain more to me all the other stuff that, that is not straightforward. Yeah. And, and that's just that's just my thing on it. And, there, and I want to just re- respond to Chad here a little bit. Uh, for Grand Nagus, uh, you're wondering if they could have uh, tried to make a mobile game and couldn't get it right. And then they put leftovers in the Hearthstone uh, mercenary mode. Hearthstone is a mobile game. Like when they created it, it was created not just necessarily from the aspect of uh, being just a PC game. It was created as 
probably the first real true game that Blizzard made with the focus on a UI and play elements that sort of revolved around mobile. So maybe there's some truth to that, but I'm wondering how much of that is mercenaries versus that's already what Hearthstone kind of is, right? And they definitely do want to make more mobile games. It's an untapped market as far as a lot of things go. And as Padilla points out, a lot of the Hearthstone developers over the past year have gotten moved off of Hearthstone and onto an unannounced game, which could be another mobile game. And seeing bits and pieces of other games bolted on and created and, and moved into other things or or developed into their own items or their own IPs, Blizzard has been doing that forever, right? That's where Dota was born. That's where Heroes of the Storm technically came from. You know, came was born from out of the RTSs. Um, that's where uh, I, I want to say Overwatch really ultimately started. Like it is like being bolt-ons and add-ons to other things that want to becoming development of their own thing. So there's always going to be a give and take in that, especially with a, a studio that big and has that many arms and elements to it that interact with each other. If an idea doesn't work here, they're going to go ahead and throw it over to maybe this other team that maybe they want to work with it and maybe it works better there. Um, so yeah, there's there's always some element of give and take and, and collaboration between the two of them or between yeah. all the different arms. Few people realize that the original Diablo was intended as an expansion to rock and roll racing. That's I've, a joke. I was going to say. I, I was sitting. I was sitting here wondering, thinking, I can't tell if he's joking or not. Yeah, that, most people can't. I'm very good at a dead man. <laughs> but Liz, do you have anything else you want to say before we move on to another item? Um, well, I do want to add with talk about bolting this on. This is not the first thing they've bolted onto Hearthstone. Like Battlegrounds, which is a really fun game mode, probably my favorite game mode in Hearthstone. It's uh, an auto battler that they added to Hearthstone, which I believe it started its life as just a tavern brawl, which is just kind of a special weekly event for a different way to play. And it evolved into this own game mode. And it actually works really well, but it's also essentially a card game it's hearthstone with different rules and a different play set but it's still essentially okay i'm playing a card game against a bunch of different people playing the same card game and it works because it's basically hearthstone but mercenaries is so different and i just i don't think it it has not made the integration smoothly uh, last thing that I'll, I'll comment on here it's kind of like how like if you look at magic the gathering we talk about card games it has so many different versions and games and, and types that you can play, but it's all still feels like magic, right? Like it's all still, it has that sort of feel to it. It's still a card game at the end of it, whether you're playing EDH or whether you're playing, um, I think we used to call it, I think it was like commander or not commander, um, three headed Etten or, or emperor back in the day, like things like that. They all still felt like the base game. So it was familiar and worked and worked inside of that framework. So yeah. All right. Okay, so moving on to the next important item. Happy birthday, Julian. Yes. It's my wife's birthday today. Ha- happy birthday, Julian. Happy birthday. And so and because happy birthday, often, Corey. Yeah, it's Corey. It's also Corey's birthday, but I'm not married to Corey, so um, as far as I know. I'm pretty sure I'm not married to Corey. I gotta check on that later. But uh now that I've done that, um, which was my due diligence, because my wife does actually is the reason I got into World of Warcraft in the first place. Uh, and someday I'll tell that story again. I'm sure I've told it before. But right now we're going to talk about the interesting thing about the Diablo 2 resurrected server issues. Mm -hmm. Um, Joe will probably take the lead on this because he knows more about this kind of stuff than myself or Liz. But I do want to throw out that I find it is is very interesting to me that a lot of this was caused by them holding on to legacy code (laughs) from, from the original Diablo 2. Because that was something that they did because people's reactions to previous remasters was that they wanted the original experience. And there's always a confluence between trying to preserve the original experience and the fact that we're on a different internet now. Yeah. So go ahead and Joe, I I know you know more about this than me. So you go ahead and then I'll come back with any ideas and Liz can say what she wants. Sure. Uh, So the, the, the short version of it is, is that among the legacy code uh, is old code that uh, is used for creating, joining, updating, reading, filtering game lists um, basically verifying server name and, and game health, and it's all written to a database. Now, if anybody's ever worked with Microsoft Access, it's essentially a gigantic database that maintains a list of all the online games, very similar to that, 
Um, and databases can be fun, especially when they're created on code that existed in the 2000s, like the early 2000s. Um, the fact that they kept it is, is mind blowing to me, especially because back then accessing that data was slower. The average person who had internet had dial up even in the early 2000s, like high speed internet really wasn't widespread quite yet. Now, on the other hand, we have so much more rapid access than we did. We went from 56K or 128K, if you were super fancy, to the average household, I think, averages like 10 megabyte down, which doesn't sound like a lot to us, but it's an order of magnitude higher than when the game was originally created. So what this is doing is with people joining, creating, saving uh, games like ridiculously often, it's causing server lag and slowdown. And the weird thing here is it's causing a sort of player feedback loop because now that players are starting to see that there's crashes, which there are always crashes in the Diablo 2 if you play it online, folks, um, but they're saving more frequently, which is causing more rights to that database, which is causing the database to get sought more, which is causing that old code to like sort of trip them up and cause more server issues, which is causing people to save more. It is it is one of the, the most ridiculous feedback loops I, I never imagined would be a thing that would happen. Um, so I know that they're working on it, but it's going to be, it's going to be a long thing because you are essentially taking an old style database, trying to update it to take into mind modern computers, modern speed of access, uh, modern read, write capabilities, uh, as well as player mentality, which again, how many times have you saved your game? How many times do you quick save a game when you're playing it? Now apply that to a game that expected you to save once every, I think the average back in the 2000s, they expect you to save once every 45 minutes or so. Like, yeah, that's, that's a big difference. Hopefully One they get the it sorted. Things, yeah. One of the other things I thought was really interesting too, is that there's another, another consequence of the modern internet that is affecting all this. <clears throat> People are creating games more often mm -hmm. just in general, because back in 2000, when this game came out, if you wanted to know how to do it the most efficiently, you could maybe go on Usenet and find somebody's like very long, very complicated walkthrough that they'd written up. Maybe uh, or maybe go to GameFAQs news groups if you were if you were like super lucky. Yeah, um, but now it is trivial to find you know guides to how to do this more effectively. We have one; mm -hmm. they're everywhere, um, and as a result. People, it's much easier for people to look up, okay, this is how I get geared up the fastest. This is how I get through the game the fastest. And so people are creating games, doing the specific farming they need to do, and then stopping, popping out, starting a new game so they can do it again. And they're all doing it at once, yeah. online, on the service that Joe pointed out, it's legacy code. One of the things that they point out is that this thing... It's one piece of code that does all of that yep. and has no backup. So if it goes down or hangs, that's it. And that's because that's how it was designed back when the Battle.net was, you know, again, something you dialed into with a modem. Battle.net, and that's the other thing. Battle.net wasn't a standalone service back then either. It no, was, no, it wasn't. It was completely different than what we know of it now. Like when you go to, when people say Battle.net, right? You're logging in, you have your battle.net launcher, you have a, an extensive framework to launch and host games of all different types that serves all of the games at its base level. Back then, it was more, little more than a peer-to-peer -peer network system that allowed you to connect to individual machines and saved information on a central database. And then every time you logged in online, would pull that data down. Like, it is so much more than it used to be, but this is why, like, when they reworked all of Warcraft three for the reforged, why changing battle the Battle.net interaction was such a big deal because it wiped everything that had existed for the players that were still playing on Battle.net because that was the only way they were able to make it work. And now this is sort of almost the same thing, except they kept it in place. And now we're seeing what the effects of that are. And I know that they mentioned that they're talking about breaking out that code into individual pieces so that there are individual services running in the background to accomplish each of the tasks instead of just having one batch code that runs everything. But that's going to be a process. And Oh, yeah, because they're going to have to write the freaking thing. They have to write each individual one. And if you've ever done any sort of like coding, the best analogy I can get is this is taking like a batch, a, a, a batch script. And taking like this, this, this sort of like garbage script 
that you would just write in like, you know, I guess garbage code. I'm just using like generic terms here and trying to break out all those individual pieces of garbage into something polished and shiny and nice and have them work in concert with each other instead of just pushing one this, button. And they still have to work with the old code that yep. is this game itself. Yep. Because that's the thing. When you are playing Diablo 2 Resurrected, you're playing you Diablo are still you're playing the original game. That's why you can hit a button and look at the old graphics because you are actually running the new graphics on top of the old graphics. Yeah. That that is so this game is not it's not up to 2021 spec that's that's not what it is people didn't want that they didn't want a rebuilt diablo 2 they wanted the original experience just pretty and the solution to that was to basically just put a filter over it and put the new graphics there yeah so yeah i i this just it's one of those situations where i don't know that anybody could have seen this particular thing coming because it didn't it didn't pop up when they did their extensive beta testing because they weren't seeing this behavior people weren't saving because it wasn't really their game well it was a beta test it, so people it was, a lot, it was a much smaller uh number of players mm-hmm. as absolutely well. didn't yes have this huge launch and not only that but it was also during the beta you didn't have websites like not ours because i don't think we've actually done this but i've seen other websites and news sources that are telling people hey save your game more often because you're going to lose everything that you've worked for. And I've been in discord channels where in discord servers, where people are telling each other to do this like more frequently because they don't want to lose out on like their staff of Jordan drops. Right. So like, this is a thing that is going to, that, that is sort of like our access to each other and our access to the internet is also exacerbating the issue. Like it is, it is a fascinating, uh, just, look at how technology and access can really like break something so ancient. So, and yeah. 20 and like 21 years doesn't sound ancient to a lot of people. That's ancient <laughs> in code. Trust me. Yeah. Cause it, we're talking several operating systems ago, like several different versions of Linux, several different versions of windows, even the, the, the Mac OS vast, vastly different. This is just even several different versions of database. Like, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. I could go on about this. I think I think we should move on, though, unless you guys want to say anything else. I think we've established it. Liz, you got anything? I just want to say one interesting thing is comparing this to WoW Classic, not on a code level, but on the level of communication that we know so much more. Information is vastly more accessible than it used to be. And that has completely changed WoW Classic Mm -hmm. compared to vanilla WoW 17 years ago. Because people are rushing through content so fast because all the guides are there. All of the information is there. And it's I'm really astounded by how much that has changed some of these remastered games we're seeing. Oh, yeah. yeah on the WoW Classic issue, because this is actually something I've been thinking about for a while. I think it's a contamination of two things. One is that they released, it at, they released WoW Classic on patch 1.12. Oh yeah, which that we, was the, we, that was their framework. We talked about that before. There's a lot of there's yeah. a lot of like nerfs and game changes and balance changes that happen. Yeah, be- because patch 1.12 was let's all go to Naxxramas. Yes. So they, you know they they didn't people were going to Molten Core as a joke at that point. People were wearing gear that was capable of destroying Anixia. We used to we used to like break our raid up into two or three raids to take on Anixia. Like we we did Anixia with 15 people because it was that's how geared we were at that point and. So there's that, that they had nerfed it down to the point where you could you could easily clear it. And then the fact that everybody knew what to do anyway. And latency wasn't an issue anymore. The biggest problem Gills had in Next Ramos was latency. Yeah. Oh, like, oh yeah. Because the, the encounters were so tightly tuned that if you had even the slightest bit of lag, like think about Lotheb with lag. Oh, my God. And that was a thing. That was a problem. That was I don't have to think. Gills. I'm having the flashbacks. Yeah. Sorry, man. <laughs> uh, but so you, you've got everything Liz just said. And then everything about the experience, the machines that we were running it on were completely different. Like my wife has often said, you know, I was trying to run this on a, on a, like a a nice, you know, iMac, the ones that, you know, the colored ones. Mm -hmm. Remember the colored iMacs, Mm -hmm. the the fruit, you know, that my wife was trying to run. Wow. On that. She was trying to do the Hunter uh, challenge to get uh, lock and rock on that computer. Um, She had to have a friend come and do it for her at one point because her computer just could not handle it. She had to go use somebody else's computer. I was on so, a 13-inch MacBook. I understand. Yeah. So, yeah, it is It is a different... That's one of the reasons... Because we don't really talk much about it because we don't know when it's coming out. But the, the season of mastery for WoW Classic 
which is another thing, you know, we still don't know when this is coming out. We, they have not announced it. It's on the PTR right now. It's being tested, but they have not made an announcement. I think it's going to be on the, the 17th anniversary of WoW, uh, November 23rd. That's that's my belief, uh, just because it's such a good time to put something like this out. Uh, you know, it's it's it, but uh, but I don't know. I, that's just that's just a gut feeling. But what do you guys think about the idea that, that the reason the season of mastery even exists is because the internet is so different now than it was in 2004? Like Thanos, it was inevitable. Yeah. Like, what do you think? You think that's that's a fair statement? You think I'm? Yeah. No, no. I think I think you're I think you're hitting the the nail right in the head there. I think like Liz pointed out, like we've been talking about for weeks now. Anytime you talk about classic in its comparison to vanilla. And I do hold them in different regards, and I always will, is it's just the unfettered access to information that we have now compared to then. And you wouldn't think that it would be that different over the course of 17 years, but it really is. Like the amount of blogs that that have come and gone, the way that certain websites have existed. Like back then we had ThoughtBot and Alakazam, and now you can go to Wowhead and like the interface is so much cleaner, so much easier to navigate. Like you borderline had to know how to code to figure out anything in Thoughtbot, right? <laughs> so like it, where we are now versus where we were makes it a different game, even if they would keep everything the same. So doing something like the Seasons of Mastery makes sense because you have to factor that in. And it is a direct response to that. So I think you are absolutely right. Liz? I, I think y'all are spot on. Okay, then we'll move on to the last item on our agenda, which is that Hallow's End is dropping. Um, there's, there's, we already talked about the Halloween event in Overwatch last week, so this week we'll talk about the WoW one. Um, the cool thing about it is that it's Hallow's End, and I, it's always a good time. Who doesn't like go to go kill the Headless Horseman? The less cool thing about it is that it is the exact same Hallow's End it has been for a decade. Yep. Since they switched to the Since new Cataclysm. System. Yeah, a decade, like I said. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, the, the, we're looking at 10 years since from, from cataclysm this year. Uh, so yeah, it's, I, 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 I've actually done it a couple of times this, this week, uh, already because I, I like Hallow's end, but at the same time, I, there's not a lot of reason to do it. Like if you've, if you already have the mount say, there's almost no reason to do it. I mean, the, the, the gear rewards are not going to really do much for you. It's just generally not, there's nothing new about it. And that's, you what? know, that's the consequence of, you know, something like this, you know, you do want people to spend all their time developing for a holiday that you see for like a, like a couple weeks a year, or do you want them developing stuff for the game in general? You know, that's just one of the things that, that people talk about, but I did want to bring, bring up uh, Phil, Phil uh, wrote a really interesting post about stuff in world of Warcraft. That's creepy. And this, a this quite a bit. Yeah. So uh, what I wanted to do is turn this over to you guys and say, uh, first Liz, What's the thing that you think of when you think of creepy in World of Warcraft? What's the thing that that immediately makes you go Ugh, like th- this is this is bad sort of thing? Not bad in a I don't enjoy it this way, but bad in a that's 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 not good. Ew, I don't want that. Mm, probably the probably the Karazhan Crypts, which is that even in Phil's post? I'm not sure. It's not. No, it's not. Yeah, I mean, one of the things is it was really difficult to get to, and you know, all of the area outside Karazhan you know, back in the day and still now um, really had a creepy vibe that you didn't see in a lot of places. And wow, it had, you know, people hanging from nooses out outside on the pathways. And if you kind of snuck into the crypts, it had the upside down sinners where you had all of these bodies hanging from chains underwater. And it was just yeah. the thing about that one- so out of tone. The, the upside down scenario is the thing I remember because my wife and I used to do that kind of exploration all the time. Yeah. I remember yeah. because we didn't know they were there. And then as you walk into the room, that pops up like the thing is, you know, the hell of upside down sinners or something like that. And you're like, what? All that we got here is this big thing of water. I don't get it. And then you go down into the water and you see them. And they're all like, it, it basically looks like they were chained up to while they were like still alive. Mm-hmm. And they drowned in the water, trying to get to the surface, which they couldn't reach because there was a chain holding them there. And it's like, yee! Because this was back, this was like 2004, 2005. This was like, you know, the game was still new. Karazhan wasn't even in the game. Like, yeah, and, and, player, and players that were finding their way there were, you know, having one-way trips to GM Island for a day or two. Yeah, so it was it was something. Man, that, that's, that's a good one, Liz. 
I mean, well, I think the reason that that's so striking is because it was such a different tone than the rest of WoW. Because even the other creepy stuff in WoW, there's a little bit of humor or it's a little cartoony. You know, there's there's a different vibe to that area that just feels really weird. And that's probably why it is an undeveloped part of the game that they never, you know, fully implemented. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely, that's a good one. I'm, I'm still remembering that shock. Okay, Joe, you got one? <laughs> The murder children of Goldshire that then made a reappearance in Battle for Azeroth when we were going through the creepy Nazoth, this is really a dream, but not actually a dream. This is supposed to be prophetic visions. Uh, those kids always creeped me out, and they were always weird. And if you are mistaken, like you don't know what I'm talking about, there's this like group of five orphans that just kind of like run around. And I think back in the day, and I might be remembering wrong, but like, they came from a house that had an like a murdered marm in it. Like it was weird and creepy and meant to be creepy. And then they brought back those same kids for the uh Stormwind uh visions of Nazoth, where they were like infested like creatures of like dark origin uh that did ritualistic summoning and murder and decay. Like it was an interesting nod because I remember that being one of those like weird things that like the Dolans made videos about being creepy and wow back in the day. Yeah. Like, like, people would actually go into the house and if you angled your character just right, you could suddenly hear whispers and yes. music. Yeah. Right in the corner, directly in the one corner. Yep. And the reason that I bring that up is because my creepy thing is going to the original Undercity. Oh but not yeah. Going down, not going down into it. Walking around you, and listening to the whispers. Yeah. You just go to the throne room. Terranus's throne room, which was preserved there, you know, you could go in. It was on the way down, actually. And you could just walk around, and if you got to the right spot, you could kind of vaguely hear Arthas killing his father. Yeah, they would. They did the entire thing from Warcraft 3. They replayed it at a very low level if you were, like, exactly center of the room. Fantastic pull there. And, and I remember... The first time I discovered it was when I was first playing my Tauren, because I, I leveled up first on Alliance side. And then I joined a guild that was full of Horde people. It was the Horde guild. And they were like, you know, okay, come play with us. And I was like, all right, sure. I like to play with people. Um, so I rolled my Tauren, and my wife and I were both playing Tauren at the time. So we didn't we didn't start in Undercity. I think I was like level 30-something before I ever got there. And so we ride in. Like, we, we, we fly into Brill, and we, we ride in on our mount. Uh, no, we didn't have mounts yet. It was level 30. We just supposed to run in. Yeah. And we got in there and I, I heard something. I'm like, did you hear that? She was like, what? No. So we went down into the city and did shopping and stuff. Then we came back up because we we wanted to go back. And this time I stopped and I heard, in the right spot and I heard it. I heard him, you know, Arthas, what are you doing succeeding? And it's really quiet. You could just barely hear it. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Oh, man, I don't like that. So, yeah, that because at the time, I'll be up front. At that time, I had not played Warcraft 3. I didn't play Warcraft 3 until several years after I played World of Warcraft. I played the original Warcraft, and I played Warcraft 2 Tides of Darkness. I have the discs still that I played uh, played it on. By the way, that's hilarious how small the discs actually are in terms of data storage. <laughs> um, but So I played those games, and then I came to World of Warcraft. That's That was Warcraft to me. So I didn't know what a Night Elf was. I didn't know what a Tauren was. This was all new stuff to me. And so I, didn't, I hadn't seen the Arthas kills his father bit. And so hearing it the first time that way was real creepy because I had no idea what was going on. Like, why, why is this happening? Why is this here? So yeah, that, that's, that's mine. But yeah, Hollow's End, uh, it's still disturbing. Um, did, here's a question because I hadn't noticed it yet. I hadn't go around looking for it. Does anyone know who lights the, uh, the Wicker Man outside, outside Undercity? Or does that even still happen? I actually don't like, know. I haven't been there since the Battle for Azeroth stuff. Liz, do you, do you have any idea? I have no idea. I haven't been over there. Okay. Uh, at some point, I'm going to need you to go check and see if they've got one over <laughs> right now. But yeah, I think that's going to cover it for various news things that we're going to talk about. Um, and we're going to move on to doing the, the emails and questions and stuff. So if you have an email for the show, and you guys were good about this this week, and I'm very grateful, um, please send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast or blizzard watch. So we know it's for this show. Um, you ask questions for, for three shows, and that's also really cool. There's a Tavern Watch question in there, and there's a couple lore watches in there. That's great. I love it. Keep that up. Uh, it, it makes me feel so much better when I'm making the email for the show, when I open it up and there's emails there. I mean, not that I don't appreciate the, the auto glass guy who just every week 
emails us. Or the one like, that wants like, to buy our domain for $25,000. I mean, yeah, that guy's great. I mean, you know, it, it, it's good to see you again. I, I'm, I appreciate it. But um, nonetheless, uh, I really like getting actual questions we can use. And that, that's been great. If you don't want to send, use the email, that's uh, totally understandable. Um, we also have two channels on our Discord. We have the Patreon Q and Podcast Questions channel, which you can totally use. We, we love getting questions there, too. One of these questions is from there. Uh, or you can use the Q Questions channel, which we also have, which we'll look at. We just use the Patreon one first because that's one of the benefits of being a patron is you get your stuff looked at first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I usually make Liz answer the read the questions first because I guess I'm a jerk. I don't know. Um, anyway, this <laughs> week we're going to have Joe do it. So Joe, go ahead and read the first question if you want to. Sure. Uh, this one is from CTC, a rogue on U.S. Burning Legion and long-term Patreon supporter. Well, thank you. Uh, the question is, are any of you creating non-consumables with any of your professions? I'm still slowly building up the crafting of base pieces for the legendary gear and don't know what to do with all the ones I've created. I can sell a few in the auction house, but have many more that cannot even be sold to a vendor. It seems a waste to just delete them. Any tips? Um, You're hitting on a problem that I think we've been complaining about for a while now, and I don't know if there is a solution or if they even have one, like, potentially yet. Professions feel weird, and they have for quite a while now uh, especially with creating base items for legendaries and things like that when you can't do anything with them you can't vendor them you can't sell them on the auction house because everybody else is doing the same thing so the the market is just absolutely flooded uh, so it just doesn't sell and if it does it's for a pittance Uh, it feels really really weird and some of the items can't even be disenchanted so like you can't even get crafting materials back out of them um, the only thing I haven't tried yet is I don't know if you can scrap them. I don't think you can. I think going back to like your your Azerothian no, city is I, like I think they're I too high level. Right yeah, they don't work in the scrapper. See, which I, would be I, cool I, if they did. Yeah, I mean it would be cool if there was a new scrapper. Yeah, quite frankly, that would have been a neat thing to have to have brought along to the next place. But no, yeah. that was left behind. That that is one system that I really wish they would bring back because I used the heck out of it last in Battle for Azeroth. Yeah, I think that to a certain degree, people were afraid that it was tri- it was like trivializing stuff like mining and, and enchanting. But I agree that it was a pretty interesting system, and it would have been nice to have something like that this time around. I think the argument would hold more weight if we weren't combining realms at such a mind like mind blistering speed, so that auction houses are so uh, what's the word I'm like oversaturated. Like mining is oversaturated. I've been a miner jewel crafter since Burning Crusade. And I don't make money. Like, I just straight up don't. It's those, they're money sinks. And I accept that. What about you guys? How's your, how has your crafting experience been this expansion? If at all, I have, I've stopped doing it like okay. straight up. I was doing it for a while. I was getting my blacksmithing up. Um, it was pretty expensive, but I had mining. So I was doing as much as I could myself. And it just stopped. The biggest problem I have with, with, crafting professions in world of warcraft and i've had this problem for a while is the amount of work you have to do to get to a point where you can make the things that are cool and interesting is so much that it's like um i could be playing the game or i could be doing this i don't know how you guys feel about that like maybe you feel like i'm i'm being histrionic or what have you no. that's a bad word i shouldn't have used it um but generally go ahead particularly for the legendaries it's a problem because you like have to craft so much to rank up your legendary and like i just uh logged on and looked at the auction house on my realm and uh pulled up plate legendaries on the auction house the cheapest one is a rank one helm for 66 gold 66 gold that is in you could not buy the crafting materials to make that for 66 gold. No, you could sell so, those materials for more than that. And as Joe pointed out, mining isn't yeah, and mining is not making a ton of money because it's very hard to get that stuff. So yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah. So I, I definitely don't do a lot of crafting. And when I do, it's like I'm just doing stuff for me. I have alchemy because it's really convenient to be an alchemist. And I can make stuff on my own and I can, you know Do you still get the cool I, the cool trinket? The uh, stone? You do get a trinket. It's not. It's not super great. This expansion, but there is a trinket. It's it's a versatility trinket. So oh. it's like. But but I mean, is is it like a philosopher's stone, right? When I when I was yeah. doing my alchemist, the, the reason I liked the trinket wasn't necessarily because it was good so much as it was it was an easy way to get an eye level bump when you were trying to. Yes, get it through, is. It's, you know, 
You so, can get it up to eye level 230 right now. Yeah. So it's an easy way to keep your, you know, oh, to yeah. get an eye level bump yeah. in that slot. So, yeah. But yeah, I get you. I, I, I just, I wish that they would come back to like the idea of blacksmithing doing really cool things that it used to do. Like the last time I feel like blacksmithing was really cool and useful is Wrath of the Lich King. Yeah. Um, and it hasn't really felt like I still keep it because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, it works with my character idea, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's not, I, I have not felt motivated in a long time. The pro the problem just comes down to such a large player base with professions, make it make anything you'd want to do with it oversaturated potentially very quickly. Like even if blacksmithing and I had this conversation with uh, one of our listeners uh, maybe a month ago and we were talking about just crafting in general and the idea that like, oh, you could just make crafting, just make you have cosmetic things. And that's a really good idea, except for the part where how do you balance that? And it's how quickly is that going to become into the same trap that we already are in with crafting in general, right? Where it doesn't matter if you can make this cool thing that looks cool unless you're making it for yourself. And then, cause you can't sell it. There's no market for it because everybody else that has blacksmithing is going to do that same sword or that, you know, people are that are tailor are going to make the same robes. And unfortunately, like it's, I don't know if there's a really good way to like fix professions in a, a meaningful manner because the player base is so large. So I don't know. And I, I know that didn't really answer your question, CDC, and I apologize. Um, but for the most part, like I just like in, in the guild that Liz and I are in, we have people that push the professions and we funnel materials to them. And then we all utilize them to make our stuff. And then most of the guild doesn't actually have high professions because it's not fun. Like Matt pointed out, we'd rather be playing the game when we're playing the game. And so like certain people will just max our professions up and do their thing. And then we just funnel materials to them to make our stuff. So, and that way, since everyone's funneling materials to them, they don't have to spend all their time gathering them. Yep. Which is the other problem. Cause it's like going to the auction house to buy all the materials is prohibitively expensive, even though selling those materials isn't cost effective. Um, so if you're the only way to really do it is to funnel. I am, uh, I had like, the only way I got my my blacksmithing up this expansion was because I was leveling three or four guys at the same time. So they, I just threw all my materials that I was getting on every character at that one character to get blacksmithing. Yeah. It just, it is, that's the other problem, but I don't have a solution for that one either. The, the most useful thing I have found to do with professions this expansion is very stupid. Um, one of my alts is a leather worker. And there are certain pieces of like low level leather working gear that you can go to the auction house and buy a stack of desolate leather when they're pretty cheap. And then you go to the um, vendor and you buy a bunch of thread with a faction that you're exalted with to get a discount. And you craft like hundreds of these. And then you vendor all of them at a profit because the leather is so cheap and even the thread, like the thread is more expensive than the leather, but you can make, you can make a profit just turning out low level armor items and vendoring them, which is a real hassle to do vendoring hundreds of things, but you do make some gold at it. And that is like kind of the only useful thing I can think for a normal person to do with professions right now, because it yeah. feels kind of pointless. So, yeah, I think at this point we're going to move on because we kind of, we've, We've beaten this horse pretty effectively, um, <laughs> but it, yeah, it is absolutely a problem. Totally agree. But you're up, Liz. Dear watchers, if artifact weapons were to make a combat, what comeback, what weapons concepts would you like to see? For me, I would like to see a new Mornblade or a sentient weapon like you see on Denathrius. Thanks for your time, Rickles. They had um, sentient weapons last time, didn't they? Yeah, they did. The Warlock yeah, one. I mean, there were two of them. The there Zaltath was, and the Warlock head. Um, no, there was also a mage one. War yeah, the mage one. Um, oh. Alaneth? Alaneth, yeah. Alaneth, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I thought all of those were cool, but also it got, like, Alaneth when I was playing my mage a little bit during Legion, and that was, you would get, like, these sort of creepy, weird whispers. I mean, not as creepy as the Shadow Priest uh, dagger, but still a little, you know, unsettling. Um, so I don't, I don't know if I want a sentient weapon again. I don't know. But what would you like? What would you like to see? Anything? Um, well, I really like the the legendary that Holy Paladin's got in Legion, which was 
a giant freaking hammer. It is so satisfying to be a healer with a giant hammer. I mean, that <laughs> just, it feels real good to me. Okay, Joe, you got anything? Uh, I mean, this is going to sound weird, but it wasn't an artifact weapon. But the one that I thought could have used some more uh, story, and I was actually surprised that they didn't do something akin to it when they did artifact weapons, is Volunir. Um, and I'm going to throw it out there because Volunir was always one of my favorite, favorite items as a healer in the world of Warcraft. I think it will always be my favorite like item. Uh, not just because it made shiny bubbles everywhere and I could abuse the heck out of it with Chain Heal and, and Healing Rain, um, <laughs> but because it was just kind of cool. It was this item that was, you know, titany and it was built around healers and protection and protecting those around you. And it had this really kind of cool story behind it. And not that the other artifact weapons for Shaman weren't cool, but like, I'm going to be straight up. I didn't care about wielding the Doomhammer. That was whatever. Uh, the elemental weapon was okay the coolest thing about it was when you had it and the elementals would leave you alone when you were in stormheim that was cool um and the healing one was okay but i felt like there was not enough of a story behind it so i don't know i got nothing it's i would love to see them bring valinir back and do something cool with it as a concept of like maybe it awakens maybe it becomes a sentient weapon maybe the ancient wisdom of the kings that wielded it before you uh, you know, start speaking to you in the way that Magni does uh, through the earth. Like, it'd be cool. Champions! <laughs> All right. I've had enough of that. I've had plenty of that. Done. <laughs> but, but uh, all right, I'll just go with my idea here. I was, a, I was really surprised, first of all, that they didn't do more variation between Horde and Alliance. I got yeah. why they didn't, because they already had a ton of stuff, but specifically for warriors. Well, 36 weapons, right? Yeah, they already had a ton of stuff going, so I understood why. But I always was was always surprised that they didn't do different stories for Horde and Alliance, especially when like the big arms weapon was this legendary human weapon that we never heard of before. But nevertheless, I feel like that was weird. Like if you're if you're a troll warrior and you get the sword that is all about killing and terrifying trolls. And I mean, that cool sword was cool. If you ever took it to Throne of Thunder or other troll instances, all the trolls would run away from you in terror. Yeah, that was cool. Like, like you could just farm that place and all the trolls would be like, ah, like you go to Zulfarak with it and all the trolls would be like wetting themselves. It was, it was fun. But at the end of the day, it still felt weird to me that like trolls were using it. And it was like, you know, they, I always felt like there should have been Horde and Alliance ones. And again, as much as I like Stromkar, we'd never heard of it before. Like there'd never been any mention of of the you know him having that weapon uh that thordin didn't didn't there was never any mention of it and they they did a good job coming up with a story for it but it, again it was out of nowhere i wanted them to do, you know obviously for the horde um everyone knows that uh, the weapon that people wanted to see was broxgar's axe yes everyone knows that why and i'm so, so surprised it wasn't there and for the for the alliance there were two options that i thought would have been cool um the first was that quite frankly the the you know Anduin's sword is wasted on Anduin. He doesn't use a sword very often. He's 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 mostly going around casting spells. Uh, you saw him use it in Battle for Azeroth, and it was like, yeah, you hit one guy, Anduin. Come on. Uh, whereas that sword would have been great for like a for like an Alliance fairy warrior because it you know it, it could be it could actually have been the artifact for both arms and fury. You could have used it as arms in its its you know main form, and then as fury, you switch to fury, and the weapon splits into two, mm-hmm. and that would have been great. And then you could have had the horde have like you know Broxigar's axe. But the other idea I had for Alliance was a little bit more in depth, and it's not Eshkandi. What? Exactly. No, no. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going places. It's not Eshkandi, but it might be Eshkandi. We don't know. We don't know what you know where Eshkandi came from. Exactly. We know it was the great sword of the Brotherhood of the Horse. We know that it is was the weapon of Anduin Lothar. Mm-hmm. We don't know how it got to the top of, of, of Blackrock. We don't know how Blackwing Lair ends with Nefarian having that sword. And we sure as heck don't know why the sword looks like that. Why does the great sword of the Brotherhood of the Horse have a giant dragon eye and two dragon heads on the hilt? You know what I mean? Like, why is that? Yeah. That does not really fit what that sword was. And a lot of people have tried to, like, you know, do fan art or what have you of the sword cleansed. And, the, and that's all really cool. And I, I like it. But 
there were mentioned, and this is this is stuff that is not necessarily canon information anymore. They've been back and forth on it, but a lot of the WoW books used to mention a sword that he carried called Quel Zaram, which is if you if you've ever heard of Quel Sarar or Quel Dalar, you recognize the Quel part. Quel means high, and Zaram means great blade. So was Anduin Lothar carrying around an elven great sword that he would have gotten as an inheritance from you know his bloodline being owed a debt by the high elves remember that the high elves owed the the the, the arathor bloodline for saving them during the mm-hmm. troll war and it's very possible they gave him they gave their that line quelzaram and that he carried it until his death we don't know what happened to it if it was there was it ashkandi did they call it ashkandi is that the dragon word for high blade which would i mean it make a certain yeah. amount of sense and there, i remember there being some like this is probably something we'll get into a lore watch at some point, but wasn't there also like some theory that the sword was like <sighs> traded hands between like, not just like after his death, like it wound up in the, the hands of dragons in particular. Like I believe somebody called out that the neck and heads of the sword resemble that of red dragons, not black dragons. Yeah, and exactly. Ne- and that Nefarian took it as a trophy. Mm-hmm. That's that is one possibility. Absolutely. And I would have liked to have seen them, you know, bring in Anduin Lothar Mm-hmm. Have have his weapon be the weapon the alliance gets. Uh, have the horde get Broxigar's axe. Everybody's happy. Um, and you know it, it would have been if it was like this. It would have it would have basically been what Ashkandi was before the the Black Dragonflight or Red Dragonflight got their hands on it. It would have been returned to its alliancey high elfy state. And I think that would have been really cool to see like a, a weapon that looks basically like Ashkandi, but with Elven Quell Sarar, Quell Dalar type styling on. That would have been really interesting, and I would have liked to have seen it. And I also would have put the ghost of Anduin Lothar into it so that he would be talking to you all the time. Because, man, I love, I love Anduin Lothar. He's one of my favorite WoW characters. Like I said, I played Warcraft and Warcraft 2. I didn't play Warcraft 3, so I didn't know who Arthas was. I was all like, what happened to Anduin Lothar, man? I mean, I know he died, but you know, couldn't he couldn't he still be here? Like, we could just have more Anduin Lothar. That'd be great. Um, <laughs> So yeah, that's what I would do. I would I would do that. That would be my artifact. Do we have time for one more? You guys think? I think we do, but we I think we go for the smaller one. All right, go for it. Cool. Uh, this one comes from our friend Tetsemi. Question for whoever gets to it first. Well, the answer is Matt. Matt got to it. Wyatt Chang just tweeted this in a thread about lessons learned in development of Diablo three. The second important design lesson is that your game, the features, and the tuning are not perceived through design intent, but through the lens of features provided to the player. Uh, looking at the other Blizzard expansions recently released, what else do you think? What else does this apply to? Where did the design intent and features provide the to the player just not match up? I think we talked. Okay, I, I, Go I'm going to say right now the original implementation of the garrison. Yes. Because, I mean, I don't know what you guys feel about it, but for me, the garrison was intended not to replace gameplay, but that's exactly what it did. Yeah, it was supposed to it was supposed to be like this RP immersive element that you can invite players to be a staging ground to where you were going uh, for like dungeons and raids. Uh, It was supposed to, in, in essence, be player housing. And instead, it replaced gameplay elements like you were. Yep. Right. Spot on. Yeah. You didn't have to do anything anymore. Like you, you only thing you had to do was like find like one of those weekly things going on and just go clear that little area. And then the rest of the time you would just, you do all your crafting, like all your gathering you would do on the, on the garrison, all of your like, you know, crafting stuff you would do on the garrison, all, you know, you'd run the mission table for gold. So you didn't have to get gold any and, other way. And you didn't even have to have the, the requisite, uh, gathering skill to gather certain things. Like yep. my non-herbalist like was gathering herbs and you could trade them. Yep. You could even trade them for like leather and stuff. So you, yeah, absolutely. It just replaced gameplay entirely. What do y'all think? Liz, you got one? I the mission table in, not the original mission table, but the mission table in Shadowlands, which was designed, which at least they told us up front, this was going to be an auto battler. And when I think of an auto battler, I think of kind of fast paced gameplay, fast paced gameplay where you get like kind of immediate feedback on what all your uh, team members are doing. And, you know, it's fast and fun. And the result was not that, you know, it's not something where you make, you know, tactical decisions and you get immediate feedback on how it worked. And then you try something different until you complete the mission. 
it just turned into kind of a numbers game. It's like, okay, which people can I put here to make this number higher than that number? And how do I position them to do best? And I, frankly, I still don't understand how it works. And missions can take a day to complete. So I put things in and I'm like, okay, I think this will work. And then it's like the next day and I forget, I don't remember what I did the day before to like take the feedback the game is trying to give me because it gives you that whole log of what everyone did in the entire combat. And it's like, okay, maybe yesterday after I clicked this button, this would mean something to me and I could take this information and do something with it. But today I have no idea what's going on and I've stopped caring because... You know what I don't understand about that? Huh. That th- those missions, what I don't understand is if they wanted to have there be time gating to them, why not let you play the mission out right there in front of it and then put a cooldown on it so you couldn't do another one? Why make it so that the thing just takes a whole day to happen? So that it's not, like, it doesn't feel like you're playing a game. It feels like you're sent, like, I don't know. It feels like I have a list of shopping I'm doing or something. It doesn't <laughs> feel like gameplay. Like, why did they do that? The thing- I don't get it. The thing is, it feels like the mission table has always felt where you go there and you're like, okay, I'm going to stick some guys and I'm going to click go and then I'm going to leave and come back tomorrow. That's what the mission table felt like in the past. But when we got to Shadowlands, they decided something that felt much more like a game within the game. That felt fun and exciting. That's how it was described to us. And then what we got was just, okay, it's the mission table again, which nothing wrong with the mission table, but it's not exciting, thrilling gameplay. Yeah, it's just more, there's more characters and there's a little animation when you actually finish it. You get to watch them fight if you want to. But it's not even really watching them fight. They just kind of like move forward and bump into each other. It's not the same. It's yeah. actually very much like mercenary like mode from Hearthstone. It is very much like it too. Yeah. Um, yep. Except there are more decisions to make in mercenary mode. Well, plus mercenary mode immediate feedback. Yeah, you and you choose what they do. You don't just watch them do it. Right. So yeah, mercenary mode is a much better mission table. Straight up, guys. That's a you should make that the mission table. They put it in the wrong game. Uh, yeah. They should have put it in World of Warcraft. Oh my god. Yeah. No. Of course. The, that that would have made more sense in my opinion. If you had something like mercenary mode replacing the mission table in World of Warcraft, you would get the people who would be like, okay, it takes all of this time to do my mission table now, and I have to do, I'm required to do my mission table, and this is so much work, you would, like, you would get the people who are like, I don't like this kind of gameplay, and I have to do it, and now it's this chore. So I can see why they don't want to do something like that, but at the same time, they described this feature as something that was going to be way more exciting than the same old mission table, but we got the same old mission table. Yeah. And, and I think that's that those two examples are probably my go-to as far as like what was promised versus what was received. So I, I don't really have anything else to add because you both named the exact two things that I would have named. So I think I'm good there. <laughs> I, I could, I could throw out the, uh, the Kyrian kind of special feature, the special feature for the Covenant, which is where you go in and you, it's like a battleground and you go in and you fight things and you, it sounded, you know, kind of cool. You're going to go in and play these different Kyrian characters and you're going to fight these other Kyrian characters and it's going to be really exciting. Except as it turns out, it's like you go in and you're playing uh, some character that you've never played that has abilities you've never used. And before you go in, you have to look up a guide to figure out how to play because this is a new character with new abilities that you've never used. And in the end, most of it comes down to kiting whoever you're fighting while you wait for your buttons to light up again and just avoiding being hit for as long as possible. And it's just there was an intent to make something really exciting and fun, like this different kind of combat mode, and it did not happen the way the way it felt like it was meant to. Yeah. But yeah, I think that pretty much handles it for uh, emails this week because we're already a little over time. So, Joe, do the spiel. I will do the spiel. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Uh, thank you very much, Joe. Uh, this, like we said, we do this every week. We do the whole thing about how this has been the Blizzard Watch podcast. I do want to, however, remind everybody that it's been... I'm going to turn the list here. 87 days, 88 days, 86, 
So 87 today or may I think it, I think it was, uh, it's like 86 or 87. Yeah. It's, it's been, been a while. as we're recording this around 87 days since the Activision Blizzard employees uh, gave their list of demands to their executives and their executives have not so much as acknowledged those demands, not answered them in any way, basically acted like it didn't happen. And that's pretty dispiriting. Uh, we, we here at Blizzard Watch stand with the employees of Activision Blizzard want to make a safer, inclusive workplace for themselves. Um, that's just, it's really, it's really bad that Activision Blizzard is not addressing this. It really is just something that I, I personally find disheartening. And I wanted to throw that out to make sure that everybody got to know that we're still, we still support them and we're still looking at that issue. But as for this show, uh, this has been the Blizzard Watch podcast. Uh, thank you to my co-hosts, Joe and Liz, for being here and for doing a great show every week. Uh, thank you guys for coming here and listening to us. And we will be back next week. <laughs>